Good evening. If you would pull out a Bible, we're going to be spending the majority of our time tonight in the book of Jude as we study the book and consider what it means to contend for the faith. The letter of Jude warns against apostasy or false teachers. People that had come into the church perverting the grace of God, desiring to lead others away. Jude in his letter references several Old Testament examples to warn the church of the characteristics of these false teachers and the, and the destruction of those, of the, of the destruction that will come upon them. Due to the prevalence of apostasy, he urges Christians to contend to the faith, for the faith, to continue in godliness and in his love. We can find a lot of similarities between the book of Jude and 2 Peter 2. And uh, we read of um, apostasy throughout, or warnings of apostasy throughout the New Testament. But the difference in Jude and these other um, writings is that before it was always foretelling of things to come, telling us, or telling, warning the church that false teachers would come into their midst. But it's evident in Jude's writings that apostasy is very prevalent in the church during this time. He is alarmed by the great number of false teachers that were being accepted into the church. We see that Jude is very direct in his teaching and he doesn't pull any punches as he addresses the church. Let's start by reading the first three verses. <clears throat> Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, and pe mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. As we will see later in the chapter, we see a great contrast between Christians and false teachers as Jude addresses the Christians here. That we are to be sanctified by God, that he is all-encompassing as we live the life that he has called us to preserved by Jesus Christ, indicating that Jesus is the one who is able to give us strength and endurance as we face any kind of difficulties. We see in verse 3 that originally Jude intended to write about something completely different. But again, apostasy and these false teachers were so prevalent that it couldn't be ignored. It's something that had to be addressed. <clears throat> It was a problem then, and we know that it's a problem today as well. Just as it was a problem in the first century church. The church was young, the church had just started, and it was already an issue. So today we can learn from Jude's teaching that we as Christians and members of this congregation stay vigilant and stay on guard against these influences in our life. That we examine ourselves so these tendencies are characteristic characteristics don't creep into our lives. In verse 4, Jude refers to these men, that these men have crept in unnoticed. Second Peter says they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So we must be on guard. We must contend for the faith, to strive for it, to fight for it, and fight for the faith in what we believe, that we stand against anything that would undermine our faith. And we see that Jude will address this idea more closely towards the end of the uh, end of the book. Reading again in Jude, verse four. For certain men have crept in un unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God 
into lewdness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Un ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness or gross immorality. We don't have to look very far in the world to see that today or maybe even in our, even in our own lives. We st hear statements like, God just wants me to be happy. It's all about self-indulgence and doing what feels good and using the grace of God to justify an immoral life as a license to sin. <clears throat> to think, I can live however I please and God will take care of the rest. However, we read something different in Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> For the grace of God brings salvation Sorry, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. We read here in Titus that grace teaches us. It teaches us to deny worldly lust and no longer serve the flesh. It teaches us to live godly, to seek God's will, not our own. Grace points us towards God, not towards the world. And we read in Jude, it's this perversion of grace that leads to denying Jesus, to rejecting authority. When we take this viewpoint of grace, God has no power. There's no godly fear. There's no reverence for God. People then get upset when God, with God when things don't go their way. We see people take scripture and twist it to fit their agenda. Pervert scripture in a way that says God supports their sinful lifestyle. Perverting what scripture declares to be true. Making it, making it all about self and God meeting their needs and ultimately denying scripture and denying Jesus. It's needful, it's needful to point out that verse four here is often used in an argument for predestination. That when he writes, who long ago were marked for this condemnation, as if Jude is saying that our lives or our, or our paths have already been determined, that our eternal standing is already decided, that there's certain people that have been marked to be saved, and there's already certain people that have been marked to be condemned. But what Jude is saying is that God's judgment is clear. The punishment for sin has already been decided. And since these false teachers were intentionally and unrepentingly leading others astray, Jude is sure of their fate. And Jude goes on to give us a few examples of those that were punished because of their disobedience. <clears throat> we read of those in verses 5 through 7. But I want to remind you, though once you knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe, and the, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, have gone after strange flesh and are, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. So first Jude references the children of Israel and their unbelief. We can turn over to uh, Numbers 14 and read a little bit of this account. <clears throat> In Numbers 14, uh, verses 22 and 23, 
speaking to Moses, God says, Because all these men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of these and any of nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. God had miraculous, miraculous, miraculously <laughs> delivered the nation of Israel from bondage. They witnessed the plagues that came upon the land. They witnessed Moses, through the power of God, part the Red Sea as they walked across on dry ground. God gave them water. He gave them manna from him, heaven only for them to respond in unbelief. Respond in doubting, going as far to worship idols of their own making. They complained, saying we were better off in Egypt as slaves, wishing for someone to take them back to Egypt. (laughs) Defecting from their faith in God and that he could deliver them into the promised land. We see that they sent in ten spies to spy out the land. And two of these spies, Caleb and Joshua, came back with a good report, saying that with God on our side, we can conquer the land. We read of this in in chapter 14, verses 6 through 10. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephaniah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke unto the congregation, of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then we will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. So we see here that Caleb had the right idea. He recognized the provision and the power of God. That if the Lord was on their side, they could take the land. That he would bring them into the promised land. He says, the Lord is with us. Do not fear. But after all this, after everything they have witnessed, they still chose to believe the spies that brought the bad report. The ones that refused to believe. In Numbers 14, verse 29, the carcasses of you who complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. The the apostate generation died wandering in the wilderness. The Israelites, God's chosen people, once saved from Egyptian bondage, afterwards were destroyed for their unbelief. They were once saved, but God destroyed them. He goes on to talk about angels who have sinned. Angels who did not keep their proper domain, as Jude says. This may be in reference to Genesis chapter 6, where we read of angels, where angels came down and cohabitated with the daughters of men. We aren't sure if this is what it's referring to, but what we are sure of is these angels and their condemnation. Angels once in the presence, presence of God, now condemned for their disobedience. Another example of God's righteous judgment and a warning to you and I today. As we read in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 11 through 12, here referring to the children of Israel, those that were unable to enter the promised land. Now all these things happened to them as examples, 
that they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let them who thinks he stands take heed, lest he falls. That we take account of our own lives, that we desire to align ourselves with God's will and submit to his authority. Thirdly, he references Sodom and Gomorrah and their destruction, as God rained down fire from heaven upon them. Cities full of wickedness, and we can read of their de- we, you can read of their depravity in Genesis 18 and 19, that there were no righteous people to be found in the city other than Lot and his family, how they had given themselves over to sexual immorality. Destruction of these cities is used over 20 times in Scripture to illustrate God's judgment. The cities were completely destroyed. Second Peter. 2 verse 6 says, And turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly. And Jude says, It's an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. A fiery destruction that only gives us a small glimpse of the unquenchable fire that can, the, unquench, the fire that can never be quenched in eternal damnation. These examples that Jude gives of God's righteousness should be a warning to us in how we live our lives and a warning to those that would come in and pervert the, dos, the doctrine of Christ. Now Jude continues to point out characteristics of these people, the characteristics of those that will receive this righteous judgment. We can read of this in verse 8, of, eight and 9 of Jude. <clears throat> Likewise, also these dreamer defiles the flesh, rejecting authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending for the, with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a rivaling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. The New King James Version refers to them as filthy dreamers likely indicating that they relied on dreams or visions that they claimed to be prophetic. Today, we can find entire religions that are based off dreams. People claim to have prophetic dreams and use them to draw in people with their elaborate emotional stories, placing their personal flawed revelations over, over God's truth, revelations that don't align with God's word. These dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. As we have mentioned, accepting or respecting or a respect for authority is not a popular concept today. In fact, we see the popular thing to do is to disrespect and to hate authority. We hear of social movements fueled by this. Teachers in their classroom have no control over their students because parents don't teach their children to submit to others, to respect or listen to authority. We can look at social media or tune into TV and see it flooded with people railing against those in leadership positions. Nobody wants to submit. Again, Judas talking about apostates, those that desire to lead others away from Christ, from the truth, 
We can look at our own lives and determine when we examine it against the word of God that we might not have those desires. But we must be on guard as these movements are so popular in the world around us. And consider the example we are setting for our children and for those around us, those in the community. Do our actions draw others closer to God or are they pushing others away? Do your children, do those around us hear us complain or speak derogatory about elected officials? Speak derogatory about those trying to enforce the law? Or what about the elders of this congregation? Are we respectful to our elders behind closed doors? Maybe we struggle with submitting to someone who sits across the aisle from us. It doesn't matter if we disagree or agree with their decision. What matters is that we have the proper attitude. Romans 13 verse 7 says, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. That we don't develop a rebellious attitude towards our elders or those that are in authority over us. Then Jude goes on to reference an exchange between Michael, the archangel, and the devil. Again, he says, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, he did not dispute about the body when he disputed about the body of Moses, did not bring a, against him a rivaling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. This is the only mention of this encounter that we find in the Bible. So we don't have the full story. We don't have all the details. We don't know why the devil was involved, but Jude's intentions were not for us to get lost in the missing details of this story. He, referenced this as, he references this to make a point that an angel, an angel from God, did not speak evil of the devil himself. He dared not bring a rivaling accusation, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. We can take that even a step further and consider Jesus as he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Accusing, we never read of Jesus lashing out at the devil accusing him or cursing him, but instead we see him refer to the word of God. He continually referred to the word of God and God's truth. But yet we think we are justified when we disrespect or speak evil of those that are in authority over us. Just as Jesus referred to the word of God, it comes back to us submitting to God and his word and his authority. We won't read all of Jude verses 10 through 19, but Jude continues to write of the doomed and depraved nature of false teachers. In verse 10, he writes that they speak evil of whatever they do not know, as to say they speak boldly, confident, playing on people's emotions to draw them in. They appear to be knowledgeable, knowledgeable when in fact they are spiritually ignorant, speaking of things they don't truly understand. Jude verse 16 describes them as people that speak great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Verse 19, sensual people who cause division not having the spirit. A warning to Christians at the time and to you and I today. Let's quickly read verses 12 through 13. These are spots in your love feast, while these feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, 
They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up from their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of dark, the blackness of darkness forever. What Jude is saying is, here is that these people will reveal themselves, that it will be evident by their fruit or the lack thereof. It will be evident by the way they talk, by the way that they conduct themselves. Again, Jude doesn't pull any punches, but he is very raw and straightforward as he describes these people and the destruction that will come upon them. He has very well explained why we should contend to the faith, contend for the faith. And in verses 20 through 23, he tells us how. Verses 20 through 23 says, But ye, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, and others save with fire, pulling them, save with fear, pulling them from the fire, hating the garment defiled by the flesh. He starts by saying we need to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. That as believers, we have a sure foundation in Jesus Christ, and that we are continually building upon that, building ourselves up, desiring to grow. Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. We read of the process of growth here, how we receive Christ, how we walk in him, being rooted and established. But it's not enough to just be rooted. We must abound in what we have been taught abiding in it and growing in Christ. The only way we can ward off those that would come in seeking to divide the church, the only way we can ward off or recognize our own struggles or sinful tendencies is by continually growing, abiding in the faith with thanksgiving. Then can we recognize these tendencies creeping in. As mentioned, Jude refers to these people in verse 4 saying they have crept in unnoticed. Peter says they secretly bring in destructive heresies. And at the same, the devil operates the same way when he seeks us out as individuals. He's cunning, he's sneaky. So we must have a desire to grow. We must consider our personal condition, our personal spiritual condition, so we can adequately face the dangers of false teachers. And we look back in Jude verse 1 where he writes that we are preserved in Christ Jesus, that we are under his power and his control, that we are preserved or kept from harm because of Christ. But the personal aspect of this is our faith. The power is supplied by God in Christ, but there's there's our responsibility of our faith. If we want to be kept in that power, we must maintain our faith. We must be diligent in our growth and our relationship with God. That we contend for the faith. And a crucial part of that, as Jude recognizes, is prayer. 
We can study the Bible. We can examine our life next to the life of Christ and determine these tendencies in our lives, see our weaknesses, see our sin. But if we aren't communicating with God about those things, we are missing a crucial piece. We are losing the battle. If we aren't in humility seeking God, we are losing the battle. Our communication with God is essential to our growth. 1 John 5, verse 14 through 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if, if, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that, he, that we have asked of him. We can have confidence in him knowing that he hears our prayers. We can ask according to, that we ask according to his will, not our own, not seeking our own lust, not asking for what we think we need or want. But then we approach him with humility, recognizing our own depravity and our desperate need for our Savior, our desperate need for his help. And not only praying for ourselves, but praying for the church and praying for our brothers and sisters in their own struggles, asking according to his will that we find in Scripture. Continuing in, again in Jude, verse 21, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Again, we see the relationship between what God does and what we are responsible for. The word kept here is derived from the same word translated preserved in verse 1. So just as we are kept or preserved by Jesus Christ, we are to keep ourselves and preserve ourselves in the love of Christ that our actions are a result of experiencing or recognizing God's power in our lives. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 1 verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That as, that as believers, it's our responsibility to be, to be obedient by living for his commandments, living out his commandments. We see that direct connection between obedience and faith throughout the scriptures. If we want to continue in his love, if we want to continue to abide in him, we must continue in the things that he has instructed. Jesus said in John 14, verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself in him. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. And Jesus says, if he, it says, he who loves me will be loved by my father. A concept that's not difficult for us to understand. Keeping ourselves in the love of Christ, preserving our faith, contending for our faith, knowing that we have the power in God to do that. Thirdly, Jude writes in verse 21, taking, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That we have an eager anticipation for the second coming of Christ and eternal life. That we don't lose sight of the end goal. You know, it's easy to get caught up in this temporal life, to be weighed down by anxiety, cares, and worries. There's times in our lives that we have struggles. Our lives, our marriages, our relationships, 
don't always go the way we know they should. We are bombarded with false teaching, heartache, loss, and sin. And it's in these times that we look forward to the coming of God. That we long for his appearing, knowing that it won't always be this way. That we can have peace and eternal home waiting for us when we choose to persevere. And it's this fact that should motivate us. It should motivate us to daily cling to God's promises, leading us to be more compassionate towards others. As we read in Jude 22, and, some of, and on some having compassion, making a distinction. Then we make a distinction of those that are being swayed by false teaching and have compassion. But too often, what is our response? Maybe we think, how could they be so ignorant? How could they not see what was coming? How can they not get past this? When we each have our own daily struggles and temptations, we might not have all the same problems as others. We all have differing strengths and weaknesses, but we all at some point are struggling with something. <clears throat> we all want mercy and compassion from God. We all desperately need that compassion and mercy, but too often we're not willing to give it to others. We must have compassion on others and help encourage one another. And that should motivate us to action. Again, verse 23, but others shave with fire, save with fear, pulling them from the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Judah's made it very clear of the destruction that is waiting for those that practice false teaching. So we recognize that those being misled by, those, by false teachers could have the same destruction coming to them. So do we care about the souls of others that we're willing to do something about it? Contending for the faith isn't allowing something, isn't allowing someone to walk away. Contending for the faith isn't allowing someone to be pulled in by dreamers, by those that pervert the grace of God, by those that reject his authority. Contending for the faith is helping one another. Jude says to do this with fear saying that we need to recognize our enemy. The enemy desires to suck in anyone that he can. So again, we must be on guard. We must be rooted and growing in God so that we aren't swayed as well. Hating the garment defiled by sin. That we despise sin. That we hate sin and how it has ruined the lives of those that have not been able to resist. And that that despise for sin, coupled with the love of God and the love of others, will lead us to take an active role in our Christianity. Contending for the faith by defending our local congregation, as well as our own souls and the souls of others. And Jude has clearly taught us how to do that, striving for an eternal home. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27 do you not know those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who completes, competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. There, therefore I run thus not with uncertainty, 
Thus I fight not as one that beateth the air, but I discipline my body and bring it unto subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. We have a clear goal, an incorruptible goal. So, it, so we must be disciplined, bring our bodies under subjection, aligning ourselves with the will of God. In the end of this letter, Jude reminds us, reminds us of our salvation. He beautifully expresses the glory of God. In closing, I'd like to read verses 24 and 25. <clears throat> now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to, prevent, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. I'd like to offer the Lord's invitation at this time. If you're struggling tonight, perhaps you feel yourself being pulled away from God, being pulled in ways that you shouldn't, and you need, you need help from this congregation, you need prayers, we are happy and willing to offer those for you. Or perhaps you've been sufficiently taught and you desire to accept God and, and submit to him in the waters of baptism. We ask as you come as we stand and sing. <clears throat>